We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Hope you had a great Memorial Day. My family came over and yes, we were appropriately socially distanced in the backyard. We each a family grouping had a special zone in the backyard. We wore our masks when we were in close proximity to one another, and it was just a great time of being in the same location uh, while at the same time making sure that we're protecting one another. So I hope you had uh, a good time as well, remembering those who have fallen and spending time with those we love. Well, I wanted to open today by just mentioning that there are no new COVID-19 deaths in Oregon for the second day in a row. 18 new cases, however, that's according to uh, Fox 12. Um, the Oregon Health Authority said this morning that they did uh, report 18 new confirmed cases, one new presumptive case of coronavirus, bringing the state total to 3,967. The new confirmed and presumptive cases were reported in Clackamas, Crook, Marion, Multnomah, Washington, and Yamhill counties, with um, Multnomah County having seven, Washington three, Marion County five, the others one or two, respectively. Well, due to the uh, uh, data, one presumptive case in Josephine County uh, had updated information, and their case status was changed to not a case uh, to reflect new information, according to the health authority. So again, in Oregon, no new deaths uh, for a second day in a row, 18 new cases. Now, Oregon has opened up in some areas, not in other areas, um, but that is the latest that we have with regard to how we stand in this fight against COVID-19. Today on the program, we're going to talk with Jamie Atten, who is uh, the founder of HDI. Uh, they're prov- providing a new resource for churches. It's called reopeningthechurch.com, and we'll tell you about the guides that are there for the church, for the family, and other concerns during the season. Jamie will join us in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll also hear from Carlos and Rosemary Evans. Standing Together, the inspirational story of a wounded warrior and enduring love. It uh, was very moving to have uh, heard their story and uh, their love for one another, despite some very uh, difficult challenges as a result of his military service on this day after Memorial Day. So all of that coming up today. We'll also talk with one of our clients and our continuing series of client interviews to let you know who supports the radio that you enjoy and uh, how they're faring, how we can support one another. That will be coming up in the next segment of today's program. Well, taking a look at some of the headlines, the National Republican National Committee, the National Republican Congressional Committee and California Republican Party have sued Governor Gavin Newsom and the state secretary of state, Alex Padilla, on Sunday, claiming an executive order sending mail-in ballots to all registered voters in the state is an illegal power grab that invites potential fraud. Newsom's order aimed at allowing voters to avoid exposure to coronavirus would send the ballots to all registered voters, including inactive voters. Uh, This has led to concerns that the ballots sent to people who have moved or died will end up being filed 
uh, and submit it anyway unless voter rolls are inspected and cleaned before the ballots are mailed. Many Republicans have expressed concern that Democrats could try using these ballots improperly to swing uh, races in their favor. And the White House on Sunday announced that the U.S. would bar entry of non-citizens traveling from Brazil which has seen a sharp rise in coronavirus cases in previous weeks. The Trump administration has determined that the uh, Federative Republic of Brazil is experiencing widespread, ongoing person-to-person transmission of the virus. Uh, And Brazil has more than 360,000 cases of COVID-19, the disease caused by the coronavirus, according to Health Ministry data released Sunday night, meaning it um, uh, trails only the United States in the Johns Hopkins University tally. Experts consider it a vast undercount due to insufficient testing. Brazil also has recorded over 22,000 deaths, which would make it the fifth most in the world. There have been more than 96,000 U.S. deaths reported thus far. Meanwhile, China warns the U.S. is against sparking a Cold War, which it seems to me we've been in for quite some time. We just haven't called it that. And Georgia teenagers became the youngest, or one, became the youngest in the state to die from coronavirus. Um, There's a uh, window now to file for government health insurance that's approaching for coronavirus filers. Well, thousands of stir-crazy Americans flocked to beaches and tourist spots over the Memorial Day weekend. And while many tried to stay safe, many others seemed to ignore social distancing rules despite the lingering coronavirus pandemic. It came as most U.S. states cautiously started to lift restrictions that have been in place for months to curb the spread of the virus, which so far killed nearly 100,000 Americans, according to the latest figures. All along the eastern coast, beaches were packed with large crowds as sheriffs, deputies and beach patrols tried to enforce social distancing. Along Florida's Gulf Coast uh, in Tampa, crowds grew so large that officials closed parking lots because they were full. Pinellas County Sheriff Bob um, Guateria, uh, he stayed at least um, uh, rather said that uh, pointed out that the uh, uh, island was jam-packed with traffic. The Galveston Daily News reported that the Galveston Island Beach Patrol Chief Peter Davis uh, told the paper Saturday that few people were seen wearing masks but appeared to be socially distancing. So there you have it. Meanwhile, Dr. Fauci says that extended stay-at-home orders could cause irreparable damage. So apparently we can't have it both ways. Representative Doug Collins is suggesting that Michael Flynn's judge may have a conflict of interest after hiring a personal attorney. And the former Vice President Joe Biden's accuser, Tara Reid, has been dropped by lawyers as reports questioning her work as uh, expert witnesses have surfaced. World War II veteran has uh, beaten COVID-19. He was honored on his 100th birthday. Michigan Governor uh, Gretchen Whitmer is facing backlash from Republican lawmakers after a reported request from her husband to get the family's boat out on the water before Memorial Day weekend, far from their home in Lansing. Whitmer, a Democrat, famously has imposed one of the strictest lockdowns in the country, sparking frequent protests. What's more, she's told people not living in northern Michigan to stay away from vacation spots uh, during the holiday weekend. When he was uh, approached, apparently he said, do you know who I am? Uh, probably not the best response. In a Facebook post no longer visible to the public, North Shore Dock LLC and its owner, Tad Dowker, focused on what Dowker said was a request last week by Whitmer's husband, Mark Mallory. The post caught the attention of Republican state lawmakers who said the governor's family may not have wanted to follow the guidance she issued for the rest of the state. 
This morning, I was out working when the office called me. There was a gentleman on hold who wanted his boat in the water before the weekend. Dowler posted, being Memorial Day weekend and the fact that we've started working three weeks late means there's no chance this is going to happen. He continued, our office personnel had explained this to the man, and he replied, I am the husband of the governor. Will this make a difference? Well, the docking company later noted that Mallory respectfully accepted the accommodation would not be possible. Whitmer's spokesperson refused to comment on the matter, saying the administration wouldn't address every rumor that spread online. Hmm. Well, a court has sided with the uh, governor, Whitmer, after the GOP lawmakers challenged her coronavirus restrictions, and she has extended Michigan's stay-at-home order until the 12th of June. Meanwhile, California has announced that churches, houses of worship can reopen under certain terms, following the president's uh, pronouncement late last week. One Chinese researcher is saying that the coronavirus is just the tip of the iceberg of infectious outbreaks. This is the bat woman, the woman who's been deemed such as a researcher. Uh, China's uh, researcher warns that the deadly coronavirus surfacing now, just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what humans may soon face without a global effort to prevent similar infections, infectious outbreaks. If we want to prevent human beings from suffering from the next infectious disease outbreak, we must go in advance to learn uh, of these unknown viruses carried by wild animals in nature and give early warnings. Well, we've learned that apparently this was not the result of wild animals in nature, so I'm not sure what to make of these comments. Meanwhile, uh, Governor Cuomo has admitted that we all failed in making coronavirus projections. The New York governor admitted Monday that Coronavirus projections from experts were all wrong, and he's getting out of the business of speculating. We'll see how that works out. He said he can't predict when the hospitalization and death rate numbers will drop to the necessary threshold required for reopening certain regions, because as he put it, we all failed at the proceeding. Now people can speculate. People can guess. I think next week, I think two weeks, I think a month, he's told reporters on Memorial Day. I'm out of that business because we all failed at it. Cuomo's rare admission came during an event at the Intrepid Sea, Air, and Space Museum in New York City when a reporter asked the governor when hard hit. Um, Also, SpaceX's first astronaut launch was threatened by stormy weather, may have to be delayed. New York's um, daily coronavirus death rate has fallen below 100 for the first time since March as Cuomo eyes Long Island reopening. And a New York City photographer has tried capturing the living history of the coronavirus pandemic in the hard-hit city with empty streets. Uh, Fleet Week has gone virtual to stay safe from coronavirus as well. The Department of Justice is urging Nevada to reconsider church social distancing orders as unequal treatment. And Ilhan Omar is back. I do believe Tara Reid's claim against Joe Biden, she has most recently said. Retired U.S. Marine salutes stand on D.C. median for 24 hours to raise awareness for veteran suicide. This retired U.S. Marine and Chicago has suffered the bloodiest Memorial Day weekend since 2015 with at least nine deaths according to reports. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we'll talk with the representative of George Moreland Plumbing Supply. We'll find out how they're doing with this pandemic and what we can do to support one another. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. And as you know, we have been talking with some of our advertisers over the last several weeks. Seems like months, maybe even years. But finding out how this COVID-19 and the pandemic is impacting what they do. Now, they support radio and we want to support them as well. Joining us now is Dave Charvet. He is the voice of George Moreland Plumbing. And I'm tempted 
to break into the song, but I will spare all of you that very thing. You can hear uh, their ads on our sister station, AM 1660, uh, The Answer. Um, and we just wanted to find out how they're doing and how we can uh, support one another during this challenging season. Dave Charvet, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Georgine. I appreciate being here. Oh, you have the most beautiful voice. Why don't you just talk? <laughs> <laughs> The water heater king. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Over, over 30 years. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't recognize it if you weren't saying it. So there you go. Oh, well, well thank I know uh, the pandemic has impacted a lot of businesses in our community. And uh, George Morgan, uh, Morgan Plumbing Supply has been around for almost 100 years. How has all of this impacted the work that you do in our community? Well, certainly, like everyone, it's caught us off guard. But as I say, we've been through about every crisis known. Well, we have been through every crisis known since 1927 when we opened business. So we've been through world wars and (laughs) all sorts of (laughs) epidemics and everything, pandemics, I guess, everything that's come and gone over the years. But this certainly was unique because it happened so fast and it was so widespread. Mm -hmm. So it certainly changed the way we did business at our stores. We actually consolidated. We uh, ceased the operation of our stores in the outlying areas and concentrated basically on the Portland metro area. Our Portland store at 55th and Foster Road, which has been there again since day one in 1927. Our Tigard store on Highway 99 and also our store in Lincoln City on Highway 101. So we concentrated to those stores and, I say, downscaled you know, the operation so that we were able to handle it with fewer people and able to serve customers still as what they would expect and for emergency things primarily because the last thing you want is to have no hot water of mm-hmm. course in a pandemic because especially when you need to stay clean and healthy hot water is a vital part of that and any repair parts or things like that we've always had available and uh, in this whole process so we also introduced a new service which we call our GMP teleplumber service because we know since people cannot get out of the house and during the stay-at-home orders, yet if you have a plumbing problem, you want to talk to a plumber or someone who knows about plumbing. So we instituted a a new service that allows you to phone into us with your uh, smartphone or through uh, any any device that allows you to uh, give us an image and your voice at the same time, and you can then either Skype to us, I say, or use the phone and you can show us your plumbing problem right from your home and then you can talk to a plumber in real time and we can tell you what we think it is or what you can do to solve the problem or if you need parts we can have the parts ready for you at the store for curbside pickup so it's worked very well and certainly we've had i think hundreds of people have actually used the service during this time Oh, that's incredible. And what a gift to the community because, you know, your your plumbing, your pipes don't know if there's an, a pandemic or not. They just work or they don't work and they need to be exactly. repaired. Yeah, things happen. Now, describe the curbside pickup. How do people go about taking advantage of that? I need a washer. I need a, you know, a faucet. How do you uh, arrange for the curbside pickup? Sure. Well, what you do, again, you'll, you can call our stores first. Uh, in Portland, if I can give you phone numbers, it's uh, 771-1145-503, of course, 771-1145 in Portland. Tigard is 624-7381, 624-7381 in Tigard. And you can call the numbers and explain your situation. And, again, if you need a teleplumber, you know, visual call, you can do that as well. And then we can really determine what you need. 
And then once you uh, get ready, and again, all of that is no charge, of course, any of our service for that, the teleplumber is no charge. And then if we determine you need a part or if you need a faucet or something, then you can pick it out visually. Again, take a kind of a virtual showroom tour if you need it, and we can find the faucet you like, and we can put it aside and have it ready for you. You can, say, pay for it either uh, over the phone or when you arrive, and we'll run it out to the curb for you, and there you are. Oh, that's incredible. Now, we know that George Moreland um, um, Plumbing is the water heater king. What happens if we have a, a problem with the water heater? Sure, we've been handling that as well, too. Of course, all of our installers follow all the policies and procedures set forth by the CDC and the Oregon Health Authority. And we can come to your home. You can call us anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we will have you back in hot water within five hours is our guarantee. Wow, that's incredible. Um, Well, it sounds like you have um, extended yourselves to make um, what you do available to the community, which is a real blessing. If you find that you're in need of any kind of plumbing supply or if the um, hot water heater uh, goes out. Uh, any people in the stores these days, and what are your thoughts about moving forward? Uh, certainly. I mean, we do have people visit the stores. We have uh, plumbing professionals who come in, regular plumbers and the property maintenance people and homeowners, too, will come into the store. And, of course, we're you know, following, all again, all the procedures from the CDC with mm-hmm. social distancing, and uh, everything is, I say, cleaned, obviously, scrupulously and regularly. So, uh, it's it's uh, worked very well, actually. We we have downplayed our showroom just because you know it keeps people from hanging out, so to speak, and staying there right now during this time, which is probably not the best idea. So we're basically offering counter service at this point and holding off for a while for people who have major house remodel plans and want to pick out all of their fixtures and faucets. That there will be a time for that, but probably not right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> well, once again, if you're in the Portland area or Tigard or in the outlying area, it's, just, it's not too much to go to these two locations. But in Portland, the number is 503-771-1145, 503-771-1145, or in Tigard, 503-624-7381. Again, that's 503-624-7381. And if you need water heater service, that number is 503 274 you can also go to the website, of course, and all that information is found there. Um, just a great part of our community. You all have supported a number of uh, charitable organizations in the community, and we appreciate that you've made made it possible for us to continue to take advantage of the tremendous inventory at George Moreland Plumbing uh, Supply and to be available to help folks when you need us. And I really want to encourage our listeners that um, if you have a need, give them a call and uh, they will hook you up. So appreciate that very much. Well, Dave, um, thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Any parting words as uh, as we move along? Just thank you. We appreciate your support of us and also the community support, too. I say we are happy to help and we are honored and happy to be here. Well, as they say, we are all in this together. That is true. That is true. <laughs> and this, too, shall pass. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> hey, Dave Charvet, thank you so much for talking with us today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Georgine. Bye-bye. Again, George Moreland Plumbing, the water heater king. Hey, coming up, we're going to take a look at what some of the local churches are doing. As you know, the president made an announcement on Friday. Well, did churches open up? 
Did they not? How are we responding? That and more when we return. Also, late, later in the hour, we'll talk with uh, Dr. Jamie Aten. He's the founder of HDI. They provide uh, disaster resources for churches and other organizations. They have uh, produced a new um, manual, reopeningthechurch.com, that provides some practical help. We'll also hear from Carlos and Rosemary Evans, Standing Together, the inspirational story of a wounded warrior. That's Carlos and Enduring Love. That's Rosemary. The Evans will join us in the five o'clock hour. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. If you haven't already done so, I want to encourage you to check out No Safe Spaces, the documentary, 2019's top political documentary. Uh, now it's available to watch at home. Critics call it smart, vital, urgent, one of the most important documentaries for you to see today. And that means today, if you haven't already done so. It tells, sadly, the disturbing stories of how America is becoming a dangerous place to speak your mind and share ideas, but does it in an entertaining and powerful way. Well, that's because the film stars Dennis Prager and Adam Carolla, you know, the comedian, but also features Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson, Tim Allen, who's also a comedian, and personalities on the left like Van Jones, Cornel West, and Alan Dershowitz. If you wonder about the depth of political correctness on college campuses and the damage it is doing... They eschew free speech. You're going to find no safe spaces eye-opening and disturbing. It's going to make you laugh, but it's also going to make you think, you know, after you stop crying. Hmm. Uh, to, tell you, uh, to tell you more about it, you can go to nosafespaces.com and, as a KPDQ listener, simply uh, enter the discount code SAVE25 and you'll do just that, save 25%. nosafespaces.com. This is a limited time availability, so don't miss out. No safe spaces. Dot com. Well, as I mentioned, uh, the president announced on Friday that his administration was declaring houses of worship as essential services. And he said that the declaration would allow them to reopen in spite of local stay-at-home orders. Well, most churches opted to remain closed in the name of safety for their members and for their community, but uh, not all. Some met just as they uh, had prior to this pandemic, but did so in a socially responsible way. My husband actually played drums for the first time in a couple of months. And when I asked them about it, I um, was very curious, how did they observe the safety guidelines that we've all been submitted to? And I was quite pleased to, uh, to learn that they had done so. Um, I thought it was rather interesting that a statement of unity regarding the reopening of churches in Oregon was made. You know, there are some churches that are very militant, saying that we're going to open regardless of what uh, happens in our state capitals or in Washington. There are others who are uh, filing suit in the uh, the legal system saying that we demand to be uh, considered an essential service, which the president essentially announced uh, last Friday. And then there are others who are waiting uh, to um, hear from the civil authorities about how and under what circumstances churches can open again. One such um, coalition of churches and church leaders in Oregon actually issued a statement of unity regarding the reopening of churches in Oregon. And the print here is so small, I'm going to try to, to read it to you. But uh, again, this uh, gives you an example, a taste of the range of responses that church leaders have taken to this pandemic. In this case, uh, they write, as a coalition of church leaders in Oregon, we feel compelled to stand together in our response to how and when to reopen our Sunday church services. Turning the page here. Um, uh, our worshipped gatherings in light of Governor Kate Brown's um, uh, phased rollout plan. We believe the body of Christ is called to be both a faithful presence and prophetic witness to our cities and towns. We stand on the 
uh, reality that the people of Jesus have worshipped historically and globally under all circumstances, including threats, war, and persecution. Following our rich Christian history, we can take any form to express our worship of Jesus Christ. From filling stadiums to gatherings of two to three people, Jesus has promised to be among us. At this moment, the churches of Oregon continue to gather in homes and through technology. We look forward to gathering again in person, and yet we are seeing God work in incredible ways as he draws his people into places of dependence, healing, repentance, and lament. We stand together as pastors in our commitment to innovate and sacrifice so we can faithfully lead our congregations in worship and serve our neighbors. We agree to work together so that every person remains safe and the vulnerable population in our churches and neighborhoods receive care. We agree to the good citizens as to, to be good citizens as scripture calls us to be. We appreciate the complexity and unprecedented challenges our elected officials face. We desire that whatever plans are put forth by the governor uh, will take into account both the threat of COVID-19 and the social and economic implications of a prolonged stay-at-home order. We commit to continue worshiping in new ways and serving our city courageously and generously while employing the safety protocols recommended by the Centers for Disease Control. We choose to comply with the governor's phases um, at this time. We will seek ways to learn from one another, innovate together, and be a collective witness to God's love and salvation during a challenging time for our entire world. We will continue to pray for our state and local leaders for their health, safety, wisdom, and, perse- and perseverance. We appreciate the countless hours they have worked. We pray that the flourishing of uh, Oregonians will uh, be valued over party politics and personal power by both the state and the church. We applaud our frontline workers who um, carry burdens few of us can imagine. We grieve with those who have lost loved ones during this season. We pray for those who have lost jobs and businesses and all those suffering financially. We pray for our ha- our home um, houseless neighbors, those facing food insecurity, those who are home but not safe, and all others afflicted by this crisis. We hope that you will find the Church of Oregon to be good neighbors uh, who love and care for the flourishing of our cities families, and neighborhoods. We stand together for the strength of the church and the health of our cities. And it's signed by a number of congregations, including, I won't mention them all, Abundant Life Church, Aloha Faith Center, Anthem Church, um, As Is Church, Beaverton Foursquare, Beaverton Christian, Bridgetown Church, Bridgeport Church, Calvary Chapel, Calvary Chapel Community Church, Calvary Church and Sisters, Cedar Mill Bible, Uh, East Hill Church Family, Door to Hope, Grace Chapel, and many, many others. Uh, This is the approach that they have agreed to take uh, with regard to the churches reopening in our communities. And I just so appreciate the spirit in which and the humility and love in which they approach this subject. Now, later in the five o'clock hour, we're going to talk with Jamie Aten. Uh, He is one of the founders of HDI. It's an organization that deals with disaster and provides resource for the church. They have provided a resource for reopening the church so that we can do so not only from the standpoint of humility and love and care, but also from the practical standpoint and the things we need to consider in order to protect parishioners when those doors do open across the board. So that'll be at five o'clock. You can also go to the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page, and I have a link to that resource and several others, one to deal with the 
fallout uh, emotionally and psychologically among those who are impacted by this pandemic, as well as a resource for families, for parents and caregivers and so on. You can find that at the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page. You'll need to scroll down because I posted it a few days ago, but there are links to all of those resources there. Meanwhile, the Oregon legislature is preparing to meet as early as June at the Capitol to deal with the estimated $3 billion gap in the state budget due to the financial fallout of the coronavirus pandemic. The 60 House members and 30 senators, along with staff and support personnel, would be coming to Salem with the ongoing public health crisis that's killed 138 people in Oregon and seriously sickened others. The capital is uh, in Marion County, which has the highest per capita rate of positive cases in the state as well. With businesses closed, thousands unemployed. Uh, the hit on the state budget has uh, been speculative. That speculation will end on Wednesday when the uh, Office of Economic Analysis issues the Oregon Economic Forecast. Governor Kate Brown has asked the State Department uh, and agencies to submit a plan to cut their budgets by up to 17 percent. Oregon has uh, thus far had 3,687 cases of COVID-19. Uh, that was as of Monday, and there have been some additional numbers added uh, in terms of cases, but no deaths. Uh, Marion County has 843 of those cases and 24 deaths, second only to Multnomah County, which includes uh, Portland. So as we're praying for the uh, the health and safety of the city and those who are making decisions, uh, please pray for those decision makers who may be called upon to gather in Salem for the sake of determining the course and the future of the state of Oregon with the tremendous economic shortfall that we have been seeing. Meanwhile, with the election just completed here in the state of Oregon, over a quarter billion dollars in new income, business, hotel, and property taxes were passed on election night. The latest tally from early unofficial numbers earlier last week, um, 29 local tax measures uh, passed, roughly 15 um, were expected to fail, and about five local tax measures didn't have enough information to make a determination. But in the midst of all of this, Oregonians decided 29 local taxes uh, would be added to what is a failing uh, economy, not because of policy differences, although I could argue that Oregon leaders have made decisions that I think would have made us more vulnerable. But this is a pandemic that uh, comes and leaves uh, uh, in its wake a devastation in the economic realm. We're going to talk more about uh, that and the fact that thousands of Oregonians are desperate as they can't get the unemployment they owed. As this stretches into months, we'll get into that and more when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in the second hour of today's program, we'll talk with Jamie Aten. He's the uh, PhD and founder of uh, the reopeningthechurch.com resource that's available to help churches uh, on a practical as well as spiritual um level to understand how to do this in a way that reflects everything that is the core in terms of the value of the church. The Humanitarian Disaster Institute published this report, Reopening the Church Guide. They also have the Spiritual First Aid Guide. That's a step-by-step disaster spiritual and emotional care manual. All of these resources for the church and the Family COVID-19 Toolkit. This is for parents, caregivers, teachers, we're caring uh, for their children and families in these unprecedented times, giving them some resource to help put things into perspective and to explain what's happening to their family members. I have a link on the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page that you can um, 
find all of these resources on you. I'll need to scroll down a little bit because I, I posted those a couple of days ago. Uh, but links to these documents are all free, these uh, resources. So check that out, and he'll join us in the 5 o'clock hour. Then we're going to hear from an extraordinary couple, Carlos and Rosemary Evans, Standing Together is the title of the book. It tells the story of a wounded warrior, Carlos, and the enduring love he received from his wife and family after devastating uh, injuries from his service in the military. That's coming up uh, in the 5 o'clock hour as well. I read an interesting, um, I followed a headline, thousands in Oregon desperately um, uh, desperate as they can't get the unemployment they're owed. Now, while they may have applied for it, it's available. There's additional funds for many thousands of Oregonians, according to this uh, this piece. They aren't able to um, get the funding that they need, and there are Oregonians who are desperate um, they write about uh, William Monroe, who never imagined he would be applying for food stamps. And the writer of the column points out that after being laid off in March from his job as a home health care worker for three clients, he's desperately attempted to collect the unemployment benefits he's owed. He's filed claims online, is sending emails and calling the Oregon Employment Department every 15 to 20 minutes. Each time he's tried, though, he's received busy signals. The only time he can get the department's phone number to ring is when the workday is over, and then it rings endlessly. After nine weeks, he has yet to talk to a person to receive a seemingly routine problem with his claim. The Kaiser 30-year-old is one of more than 400,000 Oregonians who have been pushed out of work since the 15th of March as closures due to COVID-19. Um, rippled through the state economy. The state is tasked with providing money for those workers who, through no fault of their own, are now jobless. But like many others who have sought benefits from the state of Oregon, Monroe has had no luck getting any money. As the state agencies handling these uh, claims for unemployment benefits contends with major technology problems and staffing shortages, tens of thousands of people still are waiting to receive money, according to a letter members of Congress sent to the employment agency earlier this week. More than 400,000 Oregonians, as I mentioned. And while the agency struggles, Oregonians wait. They are the ones who get hurt when a public agency tasked with the critical mission fails to meet the moment. Well, Mr. Monroe, he thanks God for his family. He first applied for unemployment benefits on the 15th of March, received a letter stating his application was approved but didn't claim the first week he was supposed to. Since then, he has received letter after letter saying the same thing. His claim is in dispute. I assume if I could just talk to someone, it could easily be worked out, he says, but that's an impossibility. He says um, he's used up most of his few thousands of dollars in savings. He's tuned, uh, turned to food stamps to make sure he could eat. Uh, he's been able to defer payments on his car and mortgage, but is considering taking out a loan against his house to stay afloat if he goes uh, more than uh, the next two months without any income or unemployment. I've had to ask family for help, he says. Thank God for them. Well, the state's employment agency has seen uh, record claims for unemployment benefits in the past two months. More than 400,000 Oregonians have filed initial claims for unemployment benefits since the uh, 15th of March. Of those, 40,899 claims haven't been processed as of the 22nd of this month, including more than 4,000 dating back to April 4th, according to the agency, uh, saying that they have been processed um, processed. Um, uh, in the initial review, well, a spokesperson didn't reply to questions about how many people have actually been paid unemployment benefits, but the number is too high. State workers are wading through an unprecedented number of claims, overwhelmed by the volume, battling technology considered outdated a decade ago. And the state says it's hired hundreds more workers to process the claims, but there's still a backlog that has to be gone through along with new claims and those like Mr. Monroe uh, 
that need to be resolved. So there are people in our communities who are definitely and desperately hurting uh, that we need to be mindful of and perhaps uh, willing and able to come alongside and help. Meanwhile, whenever there's a crisis, there are those who will exploit that crisis. There are five coronavirus stimulus check scams uh, that we need to avoid. Now, the distribution of these $1,200 stimulus checks to Americans has given rise to unprecedented online scams. It is the wave of the future. The FTC has thus far received 18,235 reports of fraud, costing about $13.44 million. Um, Google reported it blocked about 18 million scam emails every single day. That's every single day, and 150,000 fraudulent stimulus check sites have already launched. Socialcatfish.com released a report on five of these uh, scams to avoid. Among them, the robocall check scams. The scammer will call pretending to be the IRS, ask for your personal financial information. They'll claim that they need this to deposit the stimulus check into your account and will also ask for a fee to deposit the check. In reality, they want your information so that they can pretend to be you, claim the check for themselves. They can also drain your bank account of your funds with this information and will keep the fee for themselves with no check in return. Um, the way to avoid this might seem obvious. Don't give out any personal information. The government already has your information on file uh, for when you filed your uh, taxes, so don't do that. Then there's the email and text scams. Scammers will pretend to be the IRS or federal government by emailing or texting you a link to to click on to receive your check. If you click on the link, your electronic device will be plagued with malware and your information stolen. Don't click on any links that are emailed or text you. Again, the government already has your information and checks are either directly deposited or they are mailed. Now, I've always done my uh, taxes uh, direct deposit or um, paid with an online account and my refunds when I got them years ago, always direct deposit, always the same account. We received a paper check. So don't be surprised if um, that's what happens in your case. If you haven't received your stimulus check yet and the official IRS website says otherwise, it could be possible that you are a victim of identity theft. And that is also on the list of these scams, uh, online scams, identity theft scams. Now, this is uh, this means that a scammer has found a way to steal your information, like your Social Security number, and has claimed your stimulus check for themselves. If you believe that you have been the victim of this kind of fraud, you need to report it immediately with the, uh, the government. Then there's the Google search scam. Scammers have created uh, copies of the official IRS Get My Payment site, and they've updated their search engine terms so that people conducting Google searches for information find these fake sites. Once a person finds their site, they think it's the official IRS website and will enter their information. Do not go on any website to get your stimulus check unless it is an official government.gov or .ca site. And beware of being redirected to a website from a non-reputable news source. It's challenging, but these are the things we need to be mindful of. Finally, there's the third-party stimulus check scam. Scammers have come up with um, their own stimulus check programs, claiming that they can give you additional money along with the government. They'll send you letters in the email, put pamphlets on your car, send you an email or social me media message trying to advertise their program. It happened to a man in Florida who claimed to have gotten an official-looking check for $3,000 mailed to him with a letter. Another example of that is a Costco relief program claiming to help with groceries and money during this um, time of pandemic. Well, only believe in the stimulus check programs announced by the government reported by reputable news outlets. 
if there still are some. And if you cannot find it uh, reported by reputable news outlets, it is a scam. If you encounter a coronavirus scam, you need to contact local law enforcement or file a complaint with the FTC. And they are apparently out there in significant droves. When we return, we're going to talk with Jamie um, A10. Dr. A10 is the, one of the co-founders of HTI. We'll talk about the Reopening the Church uh, resource to help you do just that in a way that is biblically sound and scientifically based so that we're all safe in the process of returning to, well, what will be new normal. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Coming up later this hour, we'll talk with Carlos and Rosemary Evans. They are the married couple who wrote the book Standing Together, the inspirational story of a wounded warrior and enduring love. We'll tell you more about that. Uh, and you'll hear that conversation later this hour. Well, as you know, President Donald Trump announced on Friday that his administration was declaring houses of worship as essential services. And he said that the declaration would allow them to reopen in spite of local stay-at-home orders. Uh, many have opted to remain closed in the name of safety for their members and for their community, but others are beginning to uh, to open up. But how do you do that safely? Well, the Humanitarian Disaster Institute has provided valuable resources for families, for pastors and church leaders uh, all in uh, to help navigate the unexpected path of COVID-19. They've just released three new resources that cover everything from caring for your family during COVID-19 to reopening your church to understanding the anxiety, trauma, and mental health struggles people may be experiencing now. Kent uh, Anon and Jamie Atten, or Aten rather, are founders of H- uh, HDI, and they, he is going to join us to talk about these three guides. I'm referring to Jamie Aten, the founder of HDI, on reopening the church and other resources available to help us do so with discernment and wisdom. Jamie Aten, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Well, this is a significant challenge. It's not just a matter of deciding whether or not we're going to open the doors to the church building or not, because the church essentially has never been closed. But it's it's more than just making a decision about whether or not the facility will be opened or closed. What are some of the things that pastors and church leaders are uh, grappling with and have to consider as we move to the next phase in some areas of opening churches to parishioners once again? You know, I think what you just said a moment ago is exactly where we need to start, that we need to remember that even though the doors to our church was clo- were closed, that our churches never were fully closed. And as we start to look at reopening, we feel that it's going to be a significant challenge for many churches, because not only do you have to think about the logistics, but also really understanding the context in which you're moving toward reopening, understanding what's happening in your broader street. And then also understanding that our human behavior may also increase risk if we're not being cautious. In fact, you suggest that there are four commitments that we need to embrace as we're moving toward reopening that begins with humility and love. Yes, when we come into this, it's really important that we recognize that no one has all the answers, but we need to approach this with a spirit of humility that, that will not only help us to be able to discern wisdom and to be wise as we go through trying to make the best decisions on behalf of others, but also that humility would help us to be able to try to better understand uh, maybe disagreements that might emerge about the best way to go forward. Now, in the interest of the church doing so with wisdom and discernment, with an attitude of humility and love, you have and your associate have produced a, 
a booklet called Guide to Reopening Church Services, a step-by-step, biblically-based and research-based approach to resuming in-person ministries to help us navigate these unfamiliar waters. Can you describe this uh, resource? Yeah, one of the things that we really tried to do was to kind of go through and take out some of the guesswork that so many pastors we're hearing are struggling with, uh, some of those big questions that many churches are facing. And so we try to, we're not necessarily providing everything that somebody needs to do, but really trying to help us think through this critically and to make sure that pastors have resources at their fingertips that they need to be able to help them and their church teams to be able to move toward reopening. So what we really try to do is provide a step-by-step approach that helps the local churches to think through what's going on in their own communities, as well as within the state and even nationally, to be able to make informed decisions about what it means like to reopen in a way that approaches this process more like a marathon than a sprint. Because one of the concerns that we have is that, and you even saw this over Memorial Day weekend, where some states started loosening restrictions on um, reopening different uh, stores and businesses and things. And what you saw is that some people mistook that for meaning that we're reopening to the way things were prior to COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And so we want to make sure that churches approach this as a marathon and take small, incremental, and cautious steps toward the reopening process. Now, the second chapter in this um, resource, which, uh, by the way, is available online, I have a link at the Georgine Rice Show page if you'd like to to check that out and some of the other resources that are available. Um, You begin by encouraging uh, your reader to make a biblical-based and scientific-based plan. Um, balancing what we know Scripture uh, teaches us along with the science of this particular pandemic so that we can be a good example to our neighbors, we can protect one another, and considerate of them as well. Describe how how we do that. Well, you know, one of the things that we have found in just some of the meetings that we've been in since prior to COVID-19 really um, starting to have such a significant impact was that we noticed that many people were jumping right into planning without pausing to pray. And so really want to encourage the church to pause and to go to God, to seek guidance um, and wisdom and grace from him as we start to make these difficult decisions. And also encourage churches to build on our theological foundation that we have as Christians, that though maybe your church in the past has not faced a pandemic, it's likely faced some significant challenges throughout the history of your church. And to draw from that richness of how your church has drawn from theology to guide yourselves through previous challenges and to be able to apply that in this unique challenge of COVID. And then to really come together in making decisions as a community of faith, uh, bringing in where it's not just resting on the shoulders of just the pastor, but that it's a shared responsibility of moving toward opening And then in the same way that we would seek biblical wisdom and look to Scripture, for example, such as maybe Joseph and how he navigated a disaster in the past, but we should also look to science for the best available data that's out there. So really encourage others to um, make sure that they're staying on top of what's happening by going to trusted and vested um, resources, and then also making sure to consult with local public health officials on what their recommendations might be as well. Yeah, one of the things that you all um, are doing is uh, on your website, you are encouraging uh, your readers to regularly visit the site uh, so that you can update information that may be um, added to our, our bank of knowledge about this uh, this particular pandemic, COVID-19. Absolutely. 
you know, when we actually launched our first manual just days before COVID-19 was declared a pandemic. So we had been following what was going on and realized that this was going to be a significant challenge. So we were able to pivot quickly. But then just two days after COVID was declared a pandemic, we launched a webinar series with the National Association of Evangelicals. And the reason why we launched it, and we actually, when we launched it, we committed to the fact that we were going to do this every Friday at noon Central Standard Time until it wasn't needed, just because we knew that what we were going to be learning from week to week was going to be so rapidly changing that a manual, even like the one that we just uh, shared, was going to be out of date quickly if it wasn't supplemented. So for those who are listening, just want to encourage you to consider joining our webinars or you can go to our website, reopeningthechurch.com, where we're constantly updating. So, for example, just last week we held a panel with experts from Church Law and Tax from Christianity Today to be able to go through and talk about some of the nitty-gritty liability and legal issues even that churches need to consider. And so by visiting that website regularly there, you'll find up-to-date resources. So in addition to this manual, our webinars will continue to populate it. We're putting out some new tools uh, this week as well to help churches think through these types of difficult decisions. And then we can, you can also sign up for our newsletter or follow us on our social media to get more up-to-date information. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, as you can imagine, sustaining a military marriage is pretty hard work, especially when deployments keep a family separated for long periods of time. The strain is intensified when the serving spouse is injured in the field. And according to the PTSD Foundation of America, an estimated two out of three marriages fail for troops suffering from combat trauma. Carlos Evans and Rosemary Evans are well aware of the difficulties, having experienced them personally. And in their book, Standing Together, the inspirational story of a wounded warrior and enduring love, they share their inspirational story of facing severe injury, rehabilitation, post-traumatic stress disorder, and addiction. Theirs is a true story of hope and courage in the face of astonishing challenges. Now, Sergeant uh, Carlos Evans, retired, is a minister with the Assemblies of God USA, a wounded warrior spokesman, and a motivational speaker. Born in Puerto Rico, he was an avid athlete through his high school and college years. At university, he studied theology, was very active in his church. When the tragic events of September 11th occurred, he felt compelled to join the family legacy of service in the U.S. Marines and originally planned to join as a chaplain. He served three tours of duty in Iraq and was assigned in Afghanistan for his fourth deployment. When in May of 2010, everything changed. Rosemarie Evans, also a native of Puerto Rico, is an experienced nurse. She's now a full-time caregiver and student working toward a master's degree in marriage and family uh, from Liberty University. Carlos and Maria, they live in Orlando, Florida with their two daughters. And uh, they join us today to talk about a remarkable story and their book, Standing Together, the inspirational story of a wounded warrior and enduring love. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Carlos and Rosemary. I am so honored to have you with us today. Uh, how are you doing? Thank you very much. Well, Carlos, let me begin with you. You grew up in a military family, and after 9-11, you felt that uh, it demanded some sort of response. Tell us a little bit about what led you to enlist um, the eight years you served uh, uh, and the eight years you served as a U.S. Marine. Well, I remember where I was uh, when 9-11 happened. And uh, a couple years later, uh, I was in uh, Bible college, and I was watching the news, and I saw the Marines in, in Iraq, 
And I just felt strongly in my heart that I needed to be there at that time. So I went to the recruiting station and, uh, yeah, I joined the Marine Corps. No regrets. No regrets. You were on your fourth deployment, uh, this time in Afghanistan, when in May of 2010, something happened. Tell our listeners what happened. Yeah, I was leading a foot patrol, the sergeant of the Marine Corps. And while leading uh, this patrol, this mission, I stepped on an IED, an improvised explosive device. Uh, I lost both of my legs immediately above my knees, lost part of my left uh, arm, and my left hand was amputated uh, due to the explosion. I have many scars in my body due to that explosion. Mm. Now, you were a believer at the time. You're a believer today. And as you thought about your service, having served for four deployments, which is pretty extraordinary in and of itself, you always assumed that God would protect you. You weren't concerned about injury. You weren't concerned about um, uh, being killed in uh, in Iraq or in Afghanistan. Uh, and you had said to family and friends that you weren't, you weren't going to die there, um, that God had a bigger purpose for your life. In retrospect, now some might say, well, God obviously failed. In retrospect, how do you interpret what happened and what you believed prior to what happened? Well, what happened was that Due to to the experience, I believe today that the Lord made me stronger. I believe that because today I'm a better father, I'm a better husband, I'm a better person. Now, before the injury, uh, I never thought this would happen to me. Something like this was going to happen to me because growing up, you know, that's that's what I thought as a Christian. You know, you know, stuff like like this don't happen to Christians. You know. Well, we will interpret it as a negative experience. That's what I thought. So my faith was was shaken because I didn't understand what was God, you know, where was God, what 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 He was doing. So my faith was yes, it was shaken. Mm. And yet, that statement that you made, "God has a bigger purpose for my life," uh, that that statement stands. Now let me um, let me talk to uh, to you, Rosemary. You are a trained nurse, and so you're you're used to caring for uh, people in need. What were your thoughts when Carlos decided he was going to sign up? Uh, he was going to become a Marine and serve his country following events of nine eleven. Um, I knew uh, Carlos, and we got married uh, when he was milit- in the military already. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I knew that he's gonna you know the, he's gonna go to war. I knew that. I know there's a lot of danger over there, but really, really, I never expected uh, something like this to happen. You know, I I always thought that he's going to come back from war and everything's going to be fine. I never expected that he's going to come back injured, even that he always, um, before he went to Afghanistan, he always told me, do you see Marines in front of the house? That means that something really, really bad happened to me, so you have to be prepared for that. But really, uh, we were believers, so... I think sometimes I just, uh, I was so uh, normal thinking, okay, nothing's going to happen to him because we are believers and God's going to take care of him all the time. Um, mm-hmm. But we forgot that, you know, sometimes we're going to go to trouble, mm-hmm. even that we, we are believers. You went to see your husband at Bethesda Hospital, and it was, even though you had nursing training, it was an eye-opening um, experience to see so many wounded service members uh, come back and, and uh, families who were affected when you saw your husband, what were your th- first thoughts about about him and about your future together? 
Uh, when I saw my husband, I was happy that he, uh, you know, he come back alive mm-hmm. because uh, when they give me the news, the first thing that I told God was like, God, you know, I don't mind he don't, he don't have his legs. I just want him to come back alive. So God uh, hear my, my prayer. So he bring him back alive. So I was happy for that. And as a nurse, I was ready to, you know, what what I expected to see, see my, my husband intubated, connected to a ventilator. I know everything like that. But I was afraid that he's going to have, like, some brain injury. But I remember when I went inside the room that he looked at me and he started crying. And when mm-hmm. he started crying, I knew that he recognized me. So I started, you know, giving praise to God. And, and I was thankful that he was alive. Now, you have two daughters, and caring for your husband along with your two daughters had to have been a daunting task. Uh, when Carlos was released from the hospital and when, while you were uh, helping to care for him there, how did you manage your family? Uh, at the beginning, it was very, very hard. Uh, the first month that Carlos was hospitalized, uh, I had to leave my daughters three months with another person, you know, with friend, family, friends. Mm-hmm. taking care of them so I can be in the hospital all the time with Carlos. Well, when they moved them out from the hospital to an apartment, uh, I just want to start our, our new normal, you know, our new family normal, what we're going to do every day. So what we do is we do routines. We try to wake up very early, try to get everybody ready, and and we start to do routines so we can get back to our new normal life. And it was hard at the beginning. But then, you know, with the with the help of family and friends, they were they were always over there. Somebody like God always put somebody to to help us during this process. Yeah. We were not alone. Now, many marriages have crumbled under the weight of of trials that are far less life altering than what the two of you have been through. Uh, you came out the other side stronger, um, as you write about it. Can you share some of the decisions that the two of you made along the way to fight for your marriage despite this unexpected alteration? Well, in, in, in my case, it, it was very hard because I didn't love myself at that time. Because here I am with a new body mm-hmm. that I didn't want. So I didn't love myself. And it was very hard to express love to others. But I had a breakthrough in my life. I remember when I was ready to, ready to give up in my life, in, in my marriage. I remember I, I tell Rosemary, why don't you continue with your life and I'll just stay here in Washington, D.C. And Rosemary just stared at me and told me, when they notified me of your injury, what happened to you, I pray to God to bring you back home alive and you are here alive. I'm not a widow and my daughters are not orphans. Hmm. And right there, I was like, you, you can't love me because look at my wounds. You're just saying that because of pity. And she said, that's the difference between you and me. I don't see wounds, I only see scars. Because I only see scars because I know who healed your wounds, and that is Jesus. And at that moment, uh, looking at her, I was thinking, that is the way God sees me. And she was just showing me love. She was embracing my wounds. She told me, Jesus is the center of our lives. And I love you for the man you're gonna be, for the man you are today for the man you're going to be tomorrow. And that was a breakthrough. Loving someone when they're wounded. Loving someone when they come back home and they're not being the person that, you know, you married. You know, finding, you know, that love in the middle of, of 
the storm. And Rosemary saw the best of me when I was wounded. So that that was, you know, that began in my life the healing process. Mm. You accept myself for who I am because I felt love. You have an incredible, incredible wife. We need to take a quick break, but we will continue our conversation in just a moment. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're talking with Carlos and Rosemary Evans. The book is Standing Together, the inspirational story of a wounded warrior and enduring love. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. I'm continuing my conversation with a remarkable couple, Carlos Evans and Rosemary Evans. They are the co-authors of Standing Together, the inspirational story of a wounded warrior and enduring love. Now, just before the break, Carlos told us what uh, helped him to recognize his value, uh, not only to you and into your marriage, but that God could see him and value him in his his, uh, altered condition. Let me ask you, Rosemary, uh, what were some of the biggest challenges um, you faced with your new normal? Uh, my biggest challenge, I think, it was, you know, receiving my husband with a different attitude because, uh, okay, he come back with our legs, and okay. I can understand that. But when he started being different, you know, the PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and he started, like, acting uh, different than he was, he was very depressive, he was suicidal, he, he was anger all the time. So uh, it was hard in those moments to, to, you know, I was asking God, like, God, I asked you to bring him back. But now he's different. How mm-hmm. are, how are we gonna handle this? Uh, that was one one of the difficult decisions that we had to do. And and always uh, when he wanna give up, I was trying to encourage him to continue. You know, I was uh, when he was feeling like weak that he couldn't do nothing. I just remind him that we need him in our family. That he was part of our family. That that maybe he was weak at that moment, but he's still the head of our family. So. Uh, he has his daughter, he has a wife, and we can continue life, you know, in a different way, but we're going to continue. Um, yeah. yeah. I should mention that um, Carlos came home with post-traumatic stress disorder and then became addicted to pain-killing drugs, which I would imagine had to have been a very challenging element of, of trying to establish a new normal because while his physical disabilities were, were obvious, these other wounds that were brought home are more challenging because mm-hmm. uh, they, they show up at unexpected times and in ways that, that you can't really prepare for. How did you deal with that, both um, you and Carlos? Well, um, for uh, me, oh, Carlos. Go ahead, Carlos, and then we'll have Rosemary. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, in, in my life, I... I started to look at myself through the mirror of the cross hmm. and looking at myself through the mirror of the cross meant that I, that I wasn't a victim of an IED, that I wasn't a victim of my injuries, that in Jesus Christ, I'm a conqueror and that if I was alive, it was for a purpose. So as my physical body was healing, my heart began to heal. And it's always a healing process. Every day I got to go to the cross and look at myself through that mirror. Mm-hmm. But through looking at myself through that mirror, you know, I didn't see myself as Carlos, you are incomplete. I see myself as complete because Jesus fulfills everything in our lives. So that was key to stepping up and being the father that I needed to be. Yeah, yeah. Stepping up and being the husband that I needed to be. 
Rosemarie, how would you respond to that uh, that question? Uh, for me, I think the best way that that we handled this it was through prayer. Um, I think this situation, uh, especially for me, it was uh, to gain intimacy with God. Uh, it moved me from a mediocre uh, relationship with God through a really uh, good one with God, you know. And I started to feel that I was not so sufficient. And right now I needed God to intervene in my family. So my prayer uh, was like, the intimacy with God grows so much that I think that was the key for me for for handling a lot of the situation that, that comes during the process. And also, uh, it helped all the family. It affected everybody in the family because if I do a a wrong decision, it's going to affect my husband and my daughters. So I always pray to God to give me wisdom. And he gave me the wisdom for for deal with with some of the situations. When did the two... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Carlos. No, and we had a lot of help. We had a lot of doctors, nurses, volunteers. A lot of support for many people, but opening our hearts to let people help me. You know, sometimes that ego, yeah. I don't want help from anyone. Oh, yeah. So opening my heart, you know, to the body of Christ to, to help me and, and receive that love. Amen. Now, when did you realize that God was preparing uh, the two of you for full-time ministry? And what doors started to open for you? Well, it, <laughs> we... We, as time went by, uh, we just started sharing, you know, our experience with other people and realized that that pain didn't only touch, you know, people that were in the military that were injured. That pain touches everybody. And that there are people that were broken, not so, not only physically, but emotionally. So as we're sharing, you know, with other people, we just saw you know, what the Lord was doing in their lives. And we were just showing the people who was our, who, who's our healer. And just doors started, doors started to open, you know, and, and where we lived and the hot capital at the White House and all over the world, we just started speaking at different churches in our local church and just, just doors started opening and we were just amazed what the Lord w- was doing with our scars. You know, our tears became our platform. Mm. I'm reminded of what you had said before your injuries happened. You said, God has a bigger purpose for my life. And I think like so many of us, we imagine that that purpose requires us to be physically whole or to to be free of suffering of any kind. Uh, And yet through all of that, God is using you in ways that exceed, I'm certain, your expectations. Yes, yes, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. By uh, by his grace, that that that's why I see what happened to me in May 17, 2010, as a blessing in disguise. Hmm. <laughs> that's an amazing thing. You say that standing has nothing to do with having feet. What do you mean by that? It's such a profound statement uh, said by someone who lost both feet. Oh, well, I remember one day my daughter was five years old. And she's playing in the in the apartment where we were living, and she's telling me, "Poppy, you know, now you run, you run, run, Poppy, run." And I I told her, "Oh, I'm tired," and I went to her my room and I started crying mm. because I thought to myself, "I'm going to get be able to run with my daughter," 
And my wife tells me, Rosemary tells me, well, you're looking at it the wrong way. She sees you as poppy, that you can do everything. And right there, I'm like, you know what? Standing doesn't have to do anything with it having feet. It has to do for doing and, and, and believing in God's purpose in your life. Standing up for your family, standing up for your purpose, standing up for your community. You know, I you don't need I don't need legs to leave a footprint in someone's life. I don't need two hands, you know, to touch someone. All I need is faith. And that's why I say today, today I have one hand and I'm touching more people than when I had two. Hmm. Today I don't have feet, but I leave more footprints than when I have feet. Yes. Because all I need is faith and a heart. And be sensible to the needs of others. Hmm. Can you share um what has become your motto? Yeah, that is my motto. Touching lives, leaving footprints. Hmm. Look at everybody that's around you through the reflection of the mirror of the cross. When you see someone through that mirror, you don't see them as incomplete. You see them as complete. I may look broken, but when you see me through that mirror, you can see God's purpose. Yes. Now, Rosemarie, you're now a full-time caregiver. You're a student. You're working toward a master's degree in marriage and family uh, from Liberty University. You have two daughters. You have a very full life. You are loving your husband and your family well. As you look back, um, what do you make of what God has done over this uh, period of time since Carlos' uh, disability? What I see is God has made miracles in our life. You know, I'm grateful for the miracles. And every day uh, I wake up with a miracle. So I'm thanking God because he's been with us all all through this situation and he's going to feel with us. Uh, for whatever is coming in the future. So I'm happy for everything that God has made for us. Mm, a heart of gratitude. Where can people learn more about Touching Lives, Leaving Footprints, and uh, C.R. Evans Ministries? Well, they can visit our website, crevans.org, and that will lead you to all our social media. And I would uh, certainly suggest that people do that, as well as read the book, Standing Together, The Inspirational Story of a Wounded Warrior and Enduring Love. You know, I have an opportunity as a host of a program like this to talk with people from all across the country and places around the world I will never visit. But I want to let you know how honored I am to have the opportunity to speak to the two of you. And Carlos, how grateful I am for the service that you rendered to our country at great cost. But I guess I'm most grateful for the fact that you as followers of Jesus have decided to press into him and to allow him to rewrite your story and to use you in ways that would not have been possible had your injuries not occurred. I I just am so grateful for the two of you and just pray that your ministry will continue to flourish as you are led and listen to him. Amen. Amen. Thank Thank you. you Thank you so much. God bless you both. God bless you. Bye-bye. What a remarkable story from a remarkable couple. Again, the book is Standing Together, the inspirational story of a wounded warrior and enduring love. There's a picture of the two of them on the, the front cover. And inside the book, you see pictures of Carlos, who was a strong, tall, strapping, handsome man. Uh, who, you know, you would have looked at and thought, well, he, he's got to be an athlete. He might, uh, you know, play for the NFL. To be absent his legs, one hand, and the use of one arm, and to see him following Jesus with such confidence, it just uh, it touches uh, my heart and challenges me with all my uh, 
physical and other faculties to serve him better. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, as was the case with the April and May issues, the June issue of Christian News Northwest is now viewable online at cnnw.com, christiannewsnorthwest.com. You can click on the homepage and find all kinds of uh, information, what's going on within the Christian community. It's kind of refreshing. It keeps us connected in ways that our confinement does not permit at this time. Uh, So keep that in mind. Also, um, you might want to check out uh, how this is impacting Christian News Northwest on a financial basis and uh, consider how to respond to that as well. Again, cnnw.com, Christian News Northwest. The June issue is now available online, and that will continue, I'm guessing, until uh, the restrictions are lifted and we can uh, come together once again. Well, I was sad to read uh, the headline at um, Fox News and various places that Christian Singer has made uh, a shocking announcement saying, I no longer believe in God. Well, the lead singer of uh, uh, the group, uh, John Steingard, uh, the front man for Hawk Nelson, uh, which is a rock band. He's the son of a pastor. He announced on Instagram that he no longer believes in God. I'm quoting from that post. He says, I've been terrified to post this for a while, but it feels like it's time for me to be honest. As I mentioned, he is the or was the front man for the band Hawk Nelson. He wrote in the the caption of a lengthy note on the 20th of May. After growing up in a Christian home, being a pastor's kid, playing and singing in a Christian band, and having the word Christian in front of most of the things in my life, I am now finding that I no longer believe in God, he said. Well, after he switched from guitarist to lead vocalist in 2012, the band formed in 2000 from uh, Peterborough, Ontario, shifted from a fast-paced punk rock to more contemporary Christian, uh, Christian music, uh, with songs like Drop in the Ocean, which he said he can no longer sing in good conscience. This is not a post I ever thought I would uh, write, but now I feel like I really need to. He uh, wrote explaining the loss of faith didn't happen overnight, and it came with questions about God, the Bible, and his upbringing in a Christian home. He received an outpouring of support from fellow Christian singers, and that's probably opposite what he anticipated would, in fact, be the case. Wrote one Uh, Jeremy Camp, love you, bro, always will. Um, uh, uh, He, of course, is the uh, star of the Christian film, I Still Believe. It's based on his story. 10th Avenue North singer um, Mike Dunahay, he wrote, man, I love you. Um, I I love that you shared this. You know, I'm always around to talk about our belief in God or lack thereof. Love you and always will. Former lead singer Sanctus Real, Matt Hemet, he added, to echo so many others here, I have nothing but love in my heart for you Uh, old friend. Well, last year, the author of the best-selling book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, Joshua Harris, he renounced his faith in a shocking post on Instagram, writing, I am not a Christian as well. Well, Mr. Steingard, he did add that I'm open to the idea that God is there. I'd prefer if he was. I suspect he is there. He is very different than uh, what I was taught. If he is there, I suspect he's very different from what I was taught. So there is an openness and perhaps coming to the realization that I'm going through the motions, I'm not uh, a, a true believer, is the healthiest place for a skeptic who is an unbeliever uh, to rest, because then, as you are open to, as he seems to be, and searching, he's surrounded by fellow musicians that he knows who love him, who did not condemn him when he made the announcement, but will lovingly uh, engage in conversation and pray for him, as I'm encouraging all of us to do as well. Who knows what the outcome 
finally might be, but did want to mention that. You might want to keep him in your prayer. I'm sure his uh, parents are devastated. Again, he's a, a PK, a pastor's kid. Uh, John Steingard, the front man for the band Hawk Nelson. Well, a Christian pastor in Wuhan, China, where the coronavirus outbreak originated, was pulled away by police on Saturday during an evangelical event on Zoom. According to a a Christian persecution group, International Christian Concern. Now, so many of us has reverted to Zoom calls and other uh, Facebook Live and and so on, other technology um, outlets for coming together in worship and fellowship and prayer meetings and um, church services and so on. And this pastor in Wuhan was in the midst of one of these Zoom calls, according to uh, International Christian Concern, and was um, pulled away by police on Saturday during this event. The preacher identified only as Lu uh, from Nanjing Road Church in uh, Hubei uh, province was taken away by the police because he posted the gospel online. He posted the gospel online. This is according to the Chinese Christian Righteous Fellowship on their Facebook page. Uh, uh, page rather, um, the International Christian Concern said that the proclaimed Jesus gospel gathering on Zoom was an all-day event with a morning and afternoon session, and the police showed up around noon to look for even uh, evangelism materials or publications before taking the pastor away, looking for materials that proclaimed the gospel. Police reportedly interrogated the pastor at the station for four and a half hours. He was on a Zoom meeting proclaiming Jesus gospel gathering. I rebuke them, calling them out that they are not minding business that they should be minding, he said, uh, was quoted as saying, Christians disregarded their own lives to do good things, yet the police treat them as bad guys. This is unreasonable. I also told them a few times in all seriousness, I will only live for Christ. I will not argue on other matters. However, I will never change uh, my persistence about evangelism. This is under a pandemic. This is under communist um, rule, and he says, I will only live for Christ. I will not change uh, my persistence about evangelism. Well, Pastor Liu and his church started handing out free masks and gospel pamphlets on the streets of Wuhan when the virus first broke out. We talked about it back then, and many people have been receptive and welcoming to both during uh, the, the difficult time there in Wuhan. Well, the Reverend Jonathan Liu, founder of the Chinese Christian Fellowship of Righteousness, said that the the Chinese Communist Party views the pastor as a threat because the government requires everyone to be loyal to the Communist Party and Xi Jinping. Since Xi Jinping came to power, the Chinese government's persecution of Christianity has been the norm, and it has been a very serious suppression of influential churches. They have woven various crimes to persecute churches and pastors. This is how they're weathering the Wuhan pandemic. Earlier this month, video footage emerged of officials raiding and violently dragging out members mid-service in Ji uh, Zhuang Church in southeastern uh, Fujian province. Earlier this year, Open Doors USA CEO David Curry warned that China, under the president Ji uh, Jinping, was building a blueprint for persecution, as Christians have been under constant surveillance, not just on the streets, but also in their churches, which have been torn down and holy books confiscated. We are struggling to navigate this pandemic, the new normal. We want to have the freedom to fellowship uh, again together. But I think it also presents for us an opportunity to remember those who, under the best of circumstances, do not have the freedom to worship, that we would be mindful of that branch of the family, that we would keep them in our prayers, 
um, that we would approach the throne of grace on their behalf and pray for them that they would stand in righteousness. And when I've met with them many years ago, the, the prayer wasn't uh, relieve us of this suffering, although they would love to be relieved of this suffering and persecution. Their main prayer was, Lord, give us the strength to stand firm. Give us the strength to be witnesses for you. So let's begin our praying for them there and then pray that they would uh, be able to experience the freedom that you and I enjoy and that you and I in our freedom um, would recognize the tremendous gift that we have and we would press in to God's word and into uh, into him. Hey, we're out of time. I want to thank James Blind for producing today's program, Clark Hilton for engineering, and Dan Rice for the use of his office. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. I hope you'll join us here tomorrow. We'll be here. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.